This is The Cable. Big bid on 10-year treasuries over the last week. Is this just a political fight, some political theatre? A lot of people saying, no, thank you, step back. You're saying, get in, why? Your connection from the London market close to the US market action. It is too easy just to blame Brexit. Surely it can't be anything means bye, bye, bye. The Cable. An historic moment from which there can be no turning back. With Jonathan Farrow on Bloomberg Radio. And good afternoon. You're listening to The Cable Live on DAB Radio. Just gone 5 p.m. in the city of London, the beautiful city of London. Charlie Paladin for Jonathan Farrow on a Tuesday. Lots going on. Steep losses for stocks across the board. We have got red on our screens uh, for European stocks. U.S. stocks now at the low of the session. The 10-year, 2.82%. And another big drop in crude oil. West Texas Intermediate Crude down 2.6%, 60 6.15. A barrel of Brent now at 74.73. A Brent crude oil down by eight tenths of one percent. And one developing business story just getting word that Bayer has won American antitrust approval for its $66 billion takeover of Monsanto, clearing the last major regulatory hurdle along a nearly two-year path toward forming the world's biggest seed and agricultural chemicals provider. Well, as we mentioned, a lot going on and coming up on the program this hour, 2012 all over again. Is it? European markets shuddering this time over Italy. The Pret-a-Manger chain all over London. They're getting a new owner and U.S. markets trading at the lows of the session. Well, here to make sense of it all is Sunil Kasur, who is Bloomberg's macro squawk analyst in London. Marcus Ashworth, Bloomberg opinion columnist. Gentlemen, great to have you with us. Sunil, got to begin with you today. The losses that we're seeing globally. Uh, by the way, the Dow now down 418 points, down 1.7% losses for stocks across Europe. Sunil, is there a specific catalyst that is sending stocks lower right now? Well, everyone is focusing in on Italy, of course. The end game for Italy seems to be elections either way. Cotterelli, if he forms a government, it's already been pretty much confirmed that that government will not have the confidence vote in Italian parliament to follow through. So early elections is on the cards either way. The latest reports either as soon as July or August this year. Yeah. And Marcus, in your view, the catalyst, uh, all of this obviously having to do with Italy, uh, why such a severe reaction for markets today? After all, we knew the election was coming. What has what has happened to trigger these kinds of losses? It's a high stakes poker game. Essentially, what uh, Mattarella, the president, has decided to do is call the bluff of uh, particularly the league here, actually, uh, for their choice of finance minister, a guy called Paolo Savona, and um, decided, even though Mattarella put forward a league replacement, um, both the Five Star and the league rejected this and have decided to call for further elections. It's interesting. Um, it's a game of, of brinkmanship here and the, the, the sort of meat in the sandwich or whatever you call it, are European bond yields, particularly Italian ones, we saw unprecedented sell-off. It is actually worse than 2011-12 in the front end, particularly two-year Italy uh, today. And I would say there was some evidence the European Central Bank was in buying early on, but as we were seeing with the close, um, it clearly wasn't enough. And we've seen nothing but the most 
unbelievable statements out of Europe from various different officials, both in Germany and um, in the Commission, which are making things worse. Yeah. Sunil, how much play is this all getting in the press? Is this a major story that is hitting front pages, uh, at least in London, obviously across uh, Italy, uh, attracting major attention? But uh, is this a front page story yet or is this a financial press story? It's definitely a front page story. If you look at the ramifications, people are now starting to comment on whether Italy could leave the euro. The next elections are being framed in that black or white case. Is this Italy leaving the euro and and the EU? And given they are a founding member, a core part of Italy, this would be a political earthquake. It's If you're looking at the elections right now, it looks likely that the vote would swing even more towards the populist parties, a larger mandate that the president, Mattarella, in good conscience, could possibly not reject like he tried to do this time. All right. So, Marcus, we all know the phrase Brexit. Do you and your colleagues then need to be coining a replacement phrase, something similar to Ital exit, which obviously doesn't flow off the tip of my tongue. But uh, are we going to be coining a word like that soon? Um, I think this is a classic situation of the pro-European or pro-EU lobby trying to frame a debate into a single saying this black and white the populist parties won't fall into that trap they're both going to say they're pro the euro it's a question of control whether from Rome or Brussels and that's whether or not that's the the whole thing it's the high stakes poker games I mentioned it's trying to be framed into a anti-euro thing it's not it's all about control and I think the actions from Mattarella the president have probably clearly backfired and it risks um, a very large um, potential majority for um, Five Star and a league here, which will cause bigger problems that may then force us down the line whereby Italy gets forced out. Or, or I think that still is far too long away, and I, I really I think that, uh, that we need to go down that line. It's for the European Central Bank here to do what it should do, what it said it would do, and stick by its guns, and I think they've wasted a huge opportunity. Uh, Sunil, is is something that has changed that is very significant is that this has gone from being a a, a possibility that wasn't even thought about to it now at least being a possibility no matter how slim. Like you say, it's a very slim possibility. What the populists do have, even though they are ramping up their rhetoric, as I agree with Marcus, they don't actually want to leave the euro. They have the Brexit situation behind them as that threat. They might not want to use it, but given that the Brexit situation has already happened, they can leverage up their advantage a bit to try and get some concessions from the EU in terms of Italian fiscal spending, which they want to enact. So it's not a case of that the chances are high. They are indeed very slim, but they have got some leeway given the Brexit situation. Uh, Marcus, where does... George Soros, his viewpoint, he is warning of uh, uh, an existential threat to the European Union. That that's Can you close the gap between what you have said about this being a, a remote possibility to, to, to being, in Soros's view, a far more significant possibility? Well, Mr. Soros is uh, very active in having a very pro-Euro uh, agenda. Uh, we're seeing that in Brexit as well. He's been increasingly... Um, Better for Britain campaign. Uh, he's probably quite influential there. However, in some senses, this is right. It is an existential 
risk in the sense whether the control is forever closer to European Union and total control from Brussels and has in that sense ability to override a democratic mandate. And this is what the battleground's all about here. So um, it could well be that we have a, a, a fight here. I, I suspect that both sides will back down in some shape, form or size, because at the end of the day, keeping funding rates are important. But at the same time, you can't have a situation where a central bank or, or, or European Commission um, overrules democracy. Yeah, Sunil, only about a minute left here, but if we can circle back to where we really began the conversation. The vote in Italy, the election, wasn't this really a de facto referendum on Italy's membership in the euro? This vote, I guess not. The next vote, maybe. What we are seeing is all across Europe is a fragmentation of its sentiment across parties. As in Spain, there are now five or six parties, whereas traditionally across all countries in the developed world, you had a choice between left or right fragmentation across Spain, Italy. We've seen the same in, in Germany recently as well. All right. I'm glad you mentioned Spain because I want to talk about the periphery uh, uh, when we continue the conversation in just a moment. Obviously, too, Spain having its own issues. Uh, we are on the cable. Charlie Paladin for Jonathan Farrow talking with Sunil Kassar, who is Bloomberg's macro squawk analyst in London. Marcus Ashworth, Bloomberg opinion columnist. Lots to talk about. Uh, yes, we will also be talking about Turkey a little later or later on in the program. And also, too, uh, want to talk about Pret a Manger. Big deal there right now. We've got the Dow in the U.S. down 412. FTSE 100 in London down 1.3%. The Euro stocks 50 uh, down by 1.6%. This is The Cable on DAB. This is The Cable with Jonathan Farrow on Bloomberg Radio. Welcome back to The Cable. Charlie Pellet in for Jonathan Farrow on this Tuesday. Just want to repeat our earlier headline involving Bayer and Monsanto. Bayer has won American antitrust approval for its $66 billion takeover of Monsanto, clearing the last major regulatory hurdle along a nearly two-year path toward forming the world's biggest seed and agricultural chemicals provider. Stocks selling off around the globe. Let's focus on Europe right now. The Euro Stocks 50 index down 1.6%. FTSE 100 down one3 3%. And we have got the Dow in the United States. Low of the session down 430. That is a drop of 1.7%. S&P down 1.4%. And the 10-year, the yield there now 2.81%. The conversation continues talking about Italy. Sunil Kusar, who is Bloomberg's macro squawk analyst in London. Marcus Ashworth, uh, Bloomberg opinion columnist. Gentlemen, uh, want to begin the conversation in this block here talking about uh, potential contagion. Uh, we are seeing markets sell off. Sunil, any thoughts as to what this could mean for the periphery? Will the selling continue not just today, but for quite a while in other European markets? Only time will tell, really, in terms of contagion. The, the problem with contagion before and Greece was the large exposure from banks across the eurozone. There has been since then a concerted attitude to try and fix that problem. The non-performing loans in Italy are still high, but in particular in countries such as Spain, they did undergo a program and a package of trying to unload some of these loans. They have a bad bank in Spain, Sareb now, and it's not likely to be as bad as it was before when Greece was in the headlines. Yeah, Marcus, I saw the headline on a Bloomberg story among our most read, uh, the headline saying, quote, it feels like 2012 again as European markets shudder over Italy. Do our headline writers have this right, Marcus? Is this really 
potentially 2012 all over again? It could be worse. The debt's larger. You look at Target 2, um, Italy technically owns a trillion, um, whereas Germany is owed a trillion, and that's just in sort of uh, payments between the central banks. Uh, the size of the European Central Bank balance sheet's now at uh, 4.56 trillion. Uh, they've amassed 2.4 trillion in this latest asset purchase programs, um, a lot of which are from Italy. Uh, so the numbers are bigger. Uh, you look at the debt to GDP ratios, both of Portugal and Italy, they're basically in the 130s. They, they haven't uh, come down really hardly at all. Uh, and then we have Greece, which is the real contagion here, because they're supposed to be exiting their fourth, I believe, bailout in August. And um, the whole point was that they would be able to issue debt on their own two feet. And the last time they tried it in February, it was a disaster. Yields shot up 50 basis points on the day of launch. And we are now over 100 basis points above that level. So you can't say that they'll be able to come back to the market. Therefore, how can they leave in August without a precautionary credit line, which is something that the Syriza government have vowed never to, never to take. It's, yeah. it's a real conundrum. And the ECB has allowed this to happen on their watch. And they've created a problem not just for Italy, but for across the whole uh, of the weaker parts of Europe. Yeah, so Sunil, in keeping with the idea of the theme of 2012 all over again, uh, does Marcus have it right when he suggests that Greece will be the next uh, potential shooter drop? Well, Greece is the most vulnerable, as well as all the other smaller European nations, uh, Portugal in the frame as well. Since then, however, there has been that concerted effort to try and find Europe-wide sort of containment factors for the these type of situations such as the ESM and the talk in the market or talk from the officials right now to create the ESM into a Europe-wide banking situation to try and prop up some of these countries when they go through this type of... So there is a plan which is possibly too early in its fermentation at the moment, but there is ways there for some sort of support at the beginning of this type of situation we are seeing with Italy. All right. When we continue, I want to switch the conversation to Turkey. And also, yes, I do want to talk about Pret-à-Manger. Turkey, by the way, said to be ready to boost rates if in May inflation rises. Sunil Kassar is with us, Bloomberg's macro squawk analyst in London. Marcus Ashworth, Bloomberg opinion columnist. You are listening to The Cable on DAB. Briefly checking stocks, we have got the Dow Jones Industrial Average. New low as the hour continues right now with the Dow down 468. That is a drop of 1.9%. This is The Cable on DAB. This is The Cable with Jonathan Farrow on Bloomberg Radio. Charlie Pellet in for Jonathan Farrow. Cable coming to you live on DAB Digital Radio. Just gone 519 in the beautiful, incredible city of London. We've got U.S. stocks lows of the day right now. The S&P trading lower by 1.4%, down 39 points. The Dow tumbling 425, uh, down 1.7%. A lot of red on the screen here as we pull up the WEI function on the Bloomberg. FTSE 100 in London down 1.3% today. Italy the catalyst, but also in Investors keeping an eye on developments out of Turkey. We do have Turkish officials back in London two weeks after President Erdogan gave an interview that sent the lira into a nosedive. Turkey is prepared to raise rates again if inflation accelerates, according to two money managers who met with Turkey's central bank governor and the deputy prime minister. Well, joining us now to help us all understand what's going on and to put it in context, uh, back with us, Sunil Kusar, Bloomberg's macro squawk analyst in London, and Marcus Ashworth, Bloomberg. 
Bloomberg opinion columnist. Sunil, let me begin with you. Uh, why this meeting in London? What are expectations for this meeting? And why is this so critical? Well, it's critical given the absolute pressure on the currency over the last few months and the rising inflation levels. Obviously, in a normal functioning economy, there are methods to combat these types of moves. But the President Erdogan, seemingly going against conventional economic theory, has put Turkey in this corner. And therefore, we've had to see his deputies, as it were, try and soothe some of the market sentiment. It's worth noting, since Turkey took its policy simplification, as it were, from the central bank, there hasn't been any further comments from Erdogan since then. The large move or simplification in rates is the last resort, really, for Turkey. Yeah, and uh, Marcus Sunil used the phrase soothe sentiment. Let me uh, substitute two other words. Is this all about damage control? It is, yeah. Um, and I think the fact that Erdogan hasn't come across this time for a visit is uh, excellent news. <laughs> um, and I think that's why they realize that the professionals are potentially back in uh, track, were, were down, well, they managed to stop the lira going uh, above five and um, the point is it's holding in this sort of range in the sort of 4.5 to 4.6 level, which isn't great. You know, they have hike rates, 300 basis points, but they've done the right thing, which is they were using this late liquidity window, which no one really understood. They've now gone back to the one-week repo, which is what is formalized and people understand in, in the overall corridor. And the key to all is that they, they say they will hike again um, if May inflation rises. Now, it's almost certain to rise, rise in May. If it doesn't rise in May, it will definitely be rising a lot more since. So this form of commitment um, to action in front of the June 24 um, election is it, it, all that the market wants to see about central bank independence coming back to and that Erdogan won't be able to ride a rough shot, at least until he gets a lot more power. And Sunil, obviously no question about the outcome of the June 24th election? No, there is pretty much no other outcome apart from Erdogan being re-elected. He's got a tight grip on the Turkish political environment and we can only expect that to get slightly tighter as we go through that June elections. It will be interesting then to see if he comes out and actually does what he said when he mentioned that he would be taking a tighter look at monetary policy by himself personally. Again, I'd like to bring back the point that since the move was taken by the central bank, he's been relatively quiet. So that could be an implicit comment from Erdogan that maybe he got the situation wrong. And now this is his way of maybe rectifying the situation by letting the central bank get on with it. All right. Uh, I, w I want to uh, move on to another story here. Major corporate deal, this one worth about one and a half billion pounds. Pret-a-Manger, which is the popular choice for a lot of people in London. They're all over the city. Anybody looking for uh, a quick lunch can always find reasonably priced, good, healthy food at Pret-a-Manger. At least that's the message they're pushing. Uh, it is being bought by the Luxembourg Investment Company, AB, that's backed by Billy, the billionaire Ryman family. Uh, Sunil, how often do you eat there? How popular is this chain? I do have to admit, Charlie, that yes, I eat at Pret quite a lot, just purely for out of convenience. I think if we look at outside the windows of the Bloomberg office, we could probably see about four or five <laughs> different Pretts <laughs> in every corner. Not as prevalent as uh, 
outside the larger cities in the UK. But we see this investment definitely tapping into the trend for healthier and organic living. However, the move itself could be a bit too late in terms of the investment. As we've seen, the fashion now is for some smaller independent type shops in this area. It's worth noting also in the UK, a couple of years ago, there was a, a large bit of focus in terms of prep food in which the food itself was marketed as very organic, but they did a comparison with the supermarket products in the UK and there was pretty much the same calorific content in prep food. Interesting. Uh, and, and clearly they're aiming to become a big global player. I mean, JAB already owns a couple of well-known chains in the United States, Panera and Aubin Pain. Uh, who has, Marcus, who has the most to worry about here? Is it Dunkin' Donuts? Is it Starbucks? Is it Costa Coffee? Is it McDonald's? Who are they going after? I think this combination of uh, the sort of smallest uh, stores from the supermarkets who are, are, are very... Um, actively moving into this area as well. There's another uh, sets of chains which are very uh, popular around London. Itsu, which does potentially Asian and Japanese food. There's um, Eat, which is quite a simple to work out what they do. Um, but there are a, a big amount of chains where, uh, and people see even McDonald's are, are spreading into salads and different stuff like that. So th- this is a competitive area. Retail is in a very bad space in the UK at the moment. Uh, very heavy um, Property taxes and also rent rises have seen a whole bunch of restaurants collapse, um, a whole series of chains of restaurants. And there's also pain in lots of other different parts of um, the high street, what the big electrical chains, Dixon's Car Phone Warehouse, had a really bad uh, down 25% a day. It's illustrative of shifting changes in people, what they want, and they want, uh, as I was saying, it's the organic lifestyle uh, impression that it's, that it's uh, homemade. All right. Uh, guys, thank you so much for joining us uh, on the program today. Yes, we covered it all. We got it all in. Pret a manger, talk about Turkey, talk about Italy. We covered all here on the cable. Guys, thank you again. Sunil Kusar, Bloomberg's macro squawk analyst in London. Marcus Ashworth, Bloomberg opinion columnist. Coming up, we'll have more on the U.S. markets. Yes, a down day across the board here. Uh, off our session lows. That's not saying a lot because we still have the Dow down 408 points, down 1.6%. FTSE 100 today down 1.3%. This is The Cable on DAB. This is The Cable with Jonathan Farrow on Bloomberg Radio. I love this song. I should just keep this song going. It's uh, Dexie's Midnight Runners uh, called Come on Eileen. There we go. And uh, it was, you know, back in the days when MTV used to play music videos, this was one of the most popular videos. You had these crazy guys, not sure where it was filmed, uh, whether it was the UK or Ireland, but they wore these uh, overalls, almost looking like American farmers. Um, and then I come to find out a little later on just what, what Dexie means um, in, in terms of uh, uh, underground slang. So that's another conversation for another time because that's not what we do here at Bloomberg. We focus on charts and graphs and information and news you can use. And we're focusing on the markets today. Joining us now, Romain Bostic, editor of our Bloomberg Top Live blog. And Mike Regan just rolled in. 
senior <laughs> editor, yes, uh, lead blogger for Markets Live. Guys, lots to talk about. Romaine, I want to begin with you. Seeing steep losses, not only in the United States, obviously in Europe as well here. Uh, we have got Italian stocks down 2.5% today. FTSE 100 down 1.3%. Euro stocks 50 down 1.6%. Really in line with what we're seeing uh, in, in U.S. stocks, but uh, big numbers to the downside. The Dow down 414, down 1.7%. S&P uh, down 1.3%. Romaine, I have to imagine one word that comes to mind for uh, for the sell-off today, and that word has to be Italy. Uh, yeah, Italy. Who would have thought that we had woken up and that would be driving the market down? But I think, uh, you know, uh, the, the reaction here is clearly tied to this general idea uh, of the contagion risk. Should we see some sort of further breakdown in the euro? I mean, we're not there yet. I, I think Italy as a story in and of itself is sort of immaterial to what's going on here in the U.S. But when you start to look at sort of the broader implications for the euro and its stability, uh, then I think you can start to see some of the risk and why that might be uh, repricing into today's market. All right. And speaking of contagion, we just had a couple of guys on from our London newsroom, a couple of your Bloomberg colleagues, and they said the next thing to keep an eye on could be, believe it or not, Greece. And there was the headline on the Bloomberg that said, you know, for Europe, is this 2012 all over again? Romaine, was that a cheap shot headline or is that a totally fair headline? <laughs> well, I mean, I mean, there's some issues with Greece and, and, and maybe uh, how you have to maybe go back and, and relook at their bailout. But I think what's going on in Italy is a lot different than Greece. Um, I think when you look at what's going on over in Europe and uh, uh, beyond uh, Italy and Spain as well, uh, you know, you, there's a lot more uh, economic stability there uh, than what we saw in Greece a few years back. So I think the risk uh, or I should say the comparison between the two, I think is a little bit tenuous. Uh, but again, I think the, the broader issue and the one we can't lose sight of isn't so much what the individual countries do, but really it's more about whether um, both the coalition, uh, the European coalition, can kind of hold all this together and whether we see some continued weakness in the euro. And Mike Regan, your view on why we're moving lower today, all about Italy? Yeah, well, Italy and, you know, as Romain said, it, you have to... Uh, take the Italy news and extrapolate it further out. I mean, you, you obviously, while Italian bonds are just getting absolutely crushed, I mean, the move in the two-year yield, uh, as far as basis points, was the biggest move ever. So even worse than the 2011, uh, as 192 basis points move at its worst. So you obviously have this sort of knee-jerk then move into haven assets, uh, self in the euro, so you have a, a stronger dollar, lower treasury yields, and you look at the the main movers in the U.S. stock market, and they're reacting more to that than to Italy per se. It's not like U.S. banks have uh, tremendous uh, potential bad exposure to to Italy, but they are obviously sensitive to this just major crash in bond yields that we've seen uh, as people move into havens. Um, and oil is the other big story. I mean, uh, crude oil down, I think it was like two, below- two and a half percent on WTI. right? Yeah, now. down to what, 65, Six, uh, 60, 66.20 right now. Yeah. So um, and part of that is obviously still uh, hangover from the OPEC uh, announcement last week that, there, you know, there's there's going to be more OPEC supply coming on uh, most likely. So uh, a little from column A, a little from column B for the stock market. And you have basically a nasty reaction to everything cross asset wise going on in in other markets uh you know the the crashing yields the drop in oil prices and a stronger dollar interesting 
interestingly, small caps, which are you know not hurt by a, a strong dollar, are, have been doing all right. They're only down about half a percentage point. Right. Uh, they actually, Russell 2000 had, had scraped back to the unchanged level during the day during all of this. Um, so to me, it's really this notion of the, the cross-asset contagion. Um, yeah, you look at Italy, it's, it's hard to draw a straight line from Italian political uncertainty to lower profits and lower stock prices in the U.S., but but it's all the dominoes between there and here and there, the 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 bond yields, the the dollar. And a lot of traders were positioned uh, aggressively on the short end for for treasuries, you know, expecting higher yields uh, for the rest of the way. So this really washes out a lot of positions in a hurry. And, and that's why you see these really, really dramatic moves. Well, let me add some context here. Year to date in the YTD column here, NASDAQ up 6.9%. The Dow has turned negative for the year down 1.5%. S&P up 5 tenths of 1%. Russell 2000 in the year to date column up 5.3%. Romain Bostic, market internals and the calendar. Sell in May, go away. As far as I'm concerned, May is done because we just had in the United States, we had our Memorial Day weekend. That's the unofficial start of summer. How much is volume playing into things today? How much is sell in May go away? Is that playing into it at yeah, all? I'm not sure I buy the sell. I mean, we were actually headed for a really great month. I mean, if you if you look, I mean, headed into towards the end of last week, we were up something like 3% uh, on the S&P for the month of May. I think um, with the today's uh, sell-off, we're only up about uh, just under 2%. So it was actually heading out, uh, turning out to be a relatively strong month uh, for the S&P. I think, well, though, with the repricing that you're seeing today, uh, you know, it's possible that between now and the end of the month on uh, Thursday, I believe, uh, that we could see uh, a, l- a little bit more weakness. But you also have to, I mean, getting to um, Mike's point, too, I mean, you know, there is sort of a knee-jerk reaction that's going on today. And I think that when the dust settles over the next couple of days, uh, at least here on the U.S. side, you potentially going to see folks realize uh, that the effect here isn't as great as it's going to be in Europe. I think when you look at some of the volatility measures, I mean, the VIX is up today, but it's still relatively contained. I mean, it's well below uh, the highs that we saw in the VIX uh, earlier this year, uh, which was around 20. I think today we're around the 16, 17 mark. But then you compare that to the volatility on the euro stocks, 50. I mean, it rose 15 percent last week. It was up, you know, eight uh, percent or so. Uh, earlier today. So you're seeing a lot more volatility over there because I think at least in the short term, uh, most of the risk is going to be kind of confined to the European uh, asset side. Yeah. And uh, Mike Regan, market calendar? Yeah. Well, it was fa- just on today alone, it was fascinating. You know, all morning we were saying uh, on our desk, well, once Europe closes, the, the U.S. is going to rebound. It actually got weaker it, after the European close, which is pretty... But pretty... I, I must say, we're now down 383. We have been down, what, 440 at right. the worst level of the day shortly after the London close. Right, right. So so we'll see. But as far as the calendar and, and the sell and make thing uh, goes, remember, it's the, the, everyone uh, recites the first part of the line, sell and make and go away. The second part's important too. Don't come back till St. Ledger's Day or Ledger's Day. I don't know what it is, which is some <laughs> British. <laughs> you tell me. I, I, no, don't look at me. Some <laughs> Romaine, you tell me. I don't know. Where's but John Farrell when we need him? It's some, uh, <laughs> it's, it's some uh, uh, I think it's a British saying, and it, it refers to a day in the middle of September. So the, the week period seasonality-wise is, it's not just May itself. It's, it's that May to September period, which... You know, and every year is different. Some years it's a great period, but historically it is, uh, on average, a, a weaker period. It, it's not even necessarily a decline, but it but it is weaker. So, 
with the Italian elections coming up in September, it makes you wonder if we're going to have this drama sticking around. Oh, and hold that thought because that's something we're going to pick up on as uh, we continue right here on Bloomberg. Uh, the cable, Charlie Paladin for Jonathan Farrell. We have got the Dow, the S&P, NASDAQ all lower right now. And uh, again, FTSE 100 closing down today by 1.3%. This is The Cable, and you're listening to DAB. This is The Cable with Jonathan Farrow on Bloomberg Radio. And we are continuing on The Cable. Put three Americans in a room, and uh, we all have to go to the Internet to find out what St. Ledger's Day is. <laughs> and uh, Sal and May wait for St. Ledger's Day. Mike Regan, you brought it up. I'm tossing the hot potato. St. Ledger's Day, fill us in. Well, you know, <laughs> it... <laughs> I guess there's a horse race. I, I'm sure our British uh, listeners are all rolling their eyes at us, I, but I guess there's a, a horse, a famous horse race uh, that day. But it's more from the market's perspective. It's it, again, it's more about that period, May to September, uh, being historically weak, and it makes sense. I mean, a lot of people uh, out on vacation. I mean, even today in the U.S., coming in after a holiday and seeing these really uh, pretty violent moves in the market, we're still kind of below average on volume. So it tells you that. You know, there are still people out on vacation, and that's going to be true for the next few months. So, um, you know, a lot of uh, we've seen a lot of interesting things happen in markets over the summer and August, that sort of thing uh, on thin volume. So um, if, if, if we're going to be hanging on uh, the cliff waiting for Ital- Italian elections in September, it's, make, it's making for an interesting summer. Yeah, I think and, I might and, take a couple months off. And, and before we or I get skewered in the Express St. Ledger Day Without the S, did I know that? No, but I went to Mr. or Mrs. Google, and that is how I got the answer there. There St. Ledger Day, you'll learn something new. At least the Americans learn something new every day (laughs) on this. And as you say, folks in London right now rolling their eyes at uh, a couple of clueless Americans talking about Maybe. I'm not sure how famous this saint is anyway. Well, no, but but you had it right. Sell in May, go away, come back on St. Ledger Day. So that's that's the slogan there. Uh, Where were we? Uh, Romaine Boston. Uh, with us, uh, along with Mike Regan here as we talk about markets and uh, what, what is happening uh, in terms of uh, possible contagion from what we're seeing uh, with what is going on in Italy right now. Um, the latest election in Italy, Romain, was this really a de facto referendum on Italy's membership in the euro? I mean, do we need to come up with a new phrase for Brexit, like Ital exit or something like something a whole lot better? Uh, well, I don't, I don't. I don't think it started out as a referendum, but it's basically going to end up as that. I, you know, I think that uh, there was definitely a little bit of miscalculation, uh, uh, you know, on the part of the president there to sort of, uh, you know. Uh, effectively, you know, deny uh, this government a chance at, at forming. Uh, you know, if this is what the people voted for, uh, you, you kind of have to go along with it. And I think a lot of the reaction uh, is really wasn't about the election outcome. It was really about the response to it and and the uncertainty that that causes. Uh, you know, if we if they had just let this government form, you might have had a little bit of price swing here and there. But instead, to have this massive uh, sell-off in the bonds, and and uh, which I think I assume is what the Italian president was trying to avoid in the first place. Uh, but you know, to take this type of tact uh, against you know what fifty-five percent of the uh, of the. Uh, of the makeup of the government was going to be just didn't really seem like the best political calculus. Mike Regan, what does it take to get stability here? <laughs> well, it's interesting. I saw a good quote. Uh, I wish I could remember the name of the analyst or the trader that said it, but he he basically said. 
that Italian politics right now are, are caught in a tug of war between hearts and wallets. You know, they're, the, the populist movement obviously is gain steam. A lot of people might agree theoretically with some of these positions. They, they're, uh, you know, a little fed up with the European Union. Um, and they might sort of back this, these populist causes uh, for this reason. But on the other hand, when you look at markets do what they're doing, when you look at um, the bonds just get trashed and the, and the stock market down two and a half, three percent, and you it, it's hitting your own net worth and uh, you know your companies and, and that you work for. Um, a, a lot of times the heart will, t- will take the backseat to the wallet in those cases. We don't really know if that's the case in, in this. I mean, I think, you know, everyone assumed before the Brexit vote that the financial ramifications would be so dire that that there's no way that people would vote for that. Um, so I think every time you have one of these populist uh, uprisings take hold, no one's really sure uh, if the harder the wallet's going to win out. I'm originally from the UK. When we continue, I will tell you what my aunt said about the Brexit vote, the way she the way she voted on Brexit, and then the surprise of the outcome. So that's coming up in just a moment, uh, right here as the cable continues on DAB. U.S. stocks lower with the S&P down 1.2 percent. You are listening to the cable on DAB. This is The Cable with Jonathan Farrow on Bloomberg Radio. And good to have you back as The Cable continues right here on DAB, seeing sharp losses for stocks uh, in Europe and the United States. Let's begin, first of all, with what European stocks did today. FTSE 100 down 1.3%. The Euro Stocks 50 Index down 1.6%. The Dow, the S&P, NASDAQ all near their lows of the session. Uh, An almost 400-point drop right now in the Dow, down 1.6%. S&P down 1.2%. NASDAQ not as bad, uh, down 6 tenths of 1%. I want to tell you what my aunt had to say about Brexit. She voted for Brexit, but she said, you know, Charles, I really, and she calls me Charles, not Charlie. I really didn't understand what I was voting for. And I felt like saying, you know, if you don't understand what you're voting for, maybe you don't really want to pull the lever one way or the other or push the button one way or the other unless you have a pretty good understanding. And, you know, she was not prepared for all the consequences. Anyway, let us talk about the Italian election. We woke up this morning and we saw all the red on our Bloomberg screens. Romaine Bostic with us, editor of our Bloomberg Top Live blog. Mike Regan, senior editor, lead blogger for Markets Live. Uh, Romaine, when you came in this morning, were you as shocked by what you saw on the screen? I hope you weren't, but I was surprised by what I saw. I think I was shocked by the severity of the reaction. I mean, we kind of known that there's been this sort of tug of war uh, between the populists and the nationalists going on in Europe. So we, we, you know, we already saw that play out in the election there. We saw that uh, with this no confidence vote uh, in Spain. And of course, obviously, we saw that with Brexit. Uh, So, you know, that itself wasn't a shock. But I think the severity to which people reacted uh, to the response to this was uh, a little bit off putting. But I think, you know, as we head uh, over the next few months, and, you know, we've we do have um, quite a few uh, political developments uh, on the calendar, both in Europe. Uh, you have major elections in North America, uh, including in Mexico. And you combine that with a lot of the uh, just the general trade and, and other sort of international relations that I guess have been strained, uh, to put it diplomatically. And I think, you know, you have a market that is a little bit on edge uh, for anything that is going to sort of uh, change the dynamics of how you value these assets. Yeah, and Mike Regan, even shorter term than what Romain was talking about this coming week, we got a lot of Fed speakers, uh, uh, 
what should we be? Obviously, we've got the the jobs report on Friday. Short term, we've got a lot of major potential catalysts as well. Yeah, it's actually a very busy uh, week for economic data. We got uh, uh, first quarter GDP, the second estimate, um, and like you said, the the jobs report. Um, what's the number there? They're looking for one hundred and ninety thousand uh, jobs, um, and today alone. The, the moves in the short end of uh, the bond market and the fixed income market have basically taken take they've taken an entire rate hike out of the pricing uh, from the Fed, um, it, which is remarkable in a single day. That just shows you what a a uh, violent reaction in markets this was. That looking out over the next twelve months, there's one less rate hike priced in to to uh, markets than there was. So. Um, is today an overreaction? I, th- I think that's the main thing. You know, how much of this is, like we said, a, a shakeout of, of positions, people being uh, betting against uh, short-term bonds uh, and, and just getting flushed out of those positions tomorrow and, and then or today and then tomorrow we're, we're back to sort of normal service and, and uh, creeping higher in yields and, and a stabilization in the stock market. I don't know. And I don't think anyone could, could say specifically, although it's fair to say that there is some of that at least going on. Yeah. Um, and I, I'm not sure just today is enough to really take a take a full rate hike off the table from the Fed. Yeah, Romaine, on the issue before we get to other catalysts, but on the issue of overreaction, your thoughts on on where we have where we are right now and potentially what we could see tomorrow. Well, I think Mike brings up a good point about the uh, uh, about what you saw here in the repricing uh, with regards to the Fed. Uh, you know, I mean, and a lot of that did start last week. I mean, I mean, we've really uh, come down. I mean, the expectations. Uh, you know, that we are even going to get to a third hike have actually dropped below 15% uh, by a lot of measures. And, uh, you know, I think that, you know, what we thought the picture was shaping up to be earlier this year, both in terms of uh, the U.S. picture as well as the the global uh, economic picture. And now that we see that that is potentially unraveling, at least this narrative of sort of global synchronicity that we sort of hung our hats on to, uh, we know, at least from the Europe side, that that's just not there. Uh, we are obviously seeing uh, the strains in uh, Latin America and obviously with our relations in Asia. And then as, and that brings you back to the U.S., where then you have to kind of say, uh, you know, where do we go uh, with regards to rates and where do we go with regards to this market? Yeah, and Mike Regan, as I pull up the WIRP function here, uh, it, it, uh, a rate hike at the next meeting and beyond that, uh, June 13th, August 1st, done deals? I, th- I think June for sure, definitely. Uh, and then you got to wonder if it's one or two more for, for the year. I mean, uh, if you go back to the, the last Fed min- minutes, that really, that alone uh, – took a lot of steam out of uh, the room as far as, you know, the line in the minutes where they said we're, we could tolerate an inflation overshoot. Um, you know, now you look at uh, what crude oil especially has done, uh, really crashing in the last uh, week or so, it, you know, and it, it's not even a question of, will the Fed tolerate an inflation overshoot? It's like, we might not get it and inflation, well, more likely to get an inflation undershoot uh, the way things are going. So, um, yeah, I, you know, it, it's it's interesting because it is a more dovish setup for the Fed. Uh, and um, once 
market sort of digests all this Italy news, it, it, it might be sort of a, a back to the Goldilocks scenario where the Fed's yeah. less aggressive than uh, than we thought they were going to be. Romy Vostic? Yeah, and we're getting, you know, those data points later this week. I mean, the core PC numbers, both for the, you know, the revised quarterly numbers as well as that monthly number. And then, of course, we'll get a look at that wage data coming out of the Friday uh, U.S. employment report. And I mean, you know, I, I, you know most of the numbers are uh, the expectations are pretty in line with what the average has been. But if we undershoot that, uh, uh, you know, on the wage and inflation data, uh, I think Mike's right. You know, we, we could see, um, you know, a little bit of money flow uh, back around. And, you know, and I should point out, too, I, you know, talking to people on Friday before the holiday, I mean, there's still uh, a lot of money that wants to be put to work in risky assets here in the U.S. and elsewhere. And so I think if the U.S. does emerge uh, as a story where people could be comfortable that the rate environment is going to be kept in check, you could see some of that money flow back here. And that is the final word, Romain Bostic. Thank you very much. I love having you guys on. You guys are wonderful guests, good people, and I'm glad I work with you. Thank you very much, Romain Bostic, editor of our Bloomberg Top Live blog, Mike Regan, senior editor, lead blogger for Markets Live. Charlie Paladin for Jonathan Farrow. He should be back tomorrow to take you through another hour of the cable. I thank our London audience for joining us. Stocks lower across the board. This is The Cable on Bloomberg DAB.